This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's Nick and Neil's Summer Millwall History Show. Neil Corinthians, one of the great names in English and arguably world football. A fascinating club. Yeah, they really were. Uh, one amateur football was almost as good as a bigger stand in um, professional football. This club were an absolutely f- fascinating, fascinating club. There's a couple of books been written on them, and um, well worth the read. Yeah. But they were actually in they were founded in 1882 when a notice was sent out to players from public schools, <laughs> which is probably the most unusual thing you could have. Well, which was the, um, in the public schools, whatever, whatever the game became, the public schools were the, 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 the mainstay of the game and, and the FA and all of the, uh, the major names were, you know, were, were derived from, the playing fields of Eton, Harrow, and, and and the others, and Corinthians were part of that, weren't they? Just to just to outline listeners, what would, who would, the reason why we're talking about it? Corinthians were, as Neil said, a an amateur side based around public school boys and and, and the world to do, I think. And the universities, yeah, the universities, had, yeah. There um, was a, there was a lexa non descripta, whatever that means. It means a law unwritten. It means I've always you, you nicked my Latin phrase. I wanted to get that in there, Neil Fisler. I wanted to say the Latin phrase. Um, it means a law unwritten. The Corinthians listeners were. It basically meant that membership was exclusively to former public school board yeah. and university students, although there were a few exceptions made. Uh, but they're still around. Uh, the Corinthian Casuals, they fall, they uh, they merged with another great amateur side, the Casuals, in 1939. Yeah. Uh, but this was a fantastic club that provided 86 England internationals and 16 captains. I was reading some years ago, this might have changed, but that was some kind of record back then, especially 16 captains. They didn't play in a league. They played all their home games on a number of grounds in and around London. The Oval, Queen's Club, where the tennis God, has been it's, played. Oh, it's great, isn't it? I love all this. Queen's Crystal Club. Palace. The, the old Crystal Palace. Palace. Yeah, yeah. Not the not the new no. Sires Park as we, as we actually know. But then they had a permanent ground so they could 
yeah, but that became their permanent ground. They could enter cup competition. As you say, they, they, they played predominantly friendlies and, and I suppose local one-off cup tie or, you know, kind of shields or whatever, that kind of thing. Just, it was, it was training seen as, games, yeah. yeah, training games, an, an amateur pursuit. Um, and the reason that we're mentioning Corinthians so much, listeners, is that uh, Millwall had a series of games, actually, including an, an epic series of FA Cup ties in the 1930s, now, which we'll, we'll come back to. Um, but they almost represented two polar opposites. I was struck by, on the one hand, you've got the Corinthians, which is coming from wealth and privilege. I don't think that's too much to to say, you know, the, the kind of well-to-do and the great and the good would play for Corinthians as amateurs, so they weren't professionals. And then at the polar opposite, you've got Millwall or Millwall Athletic from the Isle of Dogs, <laughs> but nevertheless one of the great names of, of pre-First World War football. And the, the two seem to be, I don't know, at the opposite ends of the social spectrum. Um, and we yeah, played them a few times, didn't we, over time? Yeah, most definitely. And the reason they wouldn't, ever play in a league, and I correct myself where I said they did join a league, they didn't join a league. Mm. Uh, it was the travelling, and it was seen as being too much of a problem for for a lot of their members, most of whom were doctors, teachers, businessmen, and to ask them to give up so many Saturdays in a year... Too much to ask. Yeah, yeah. it was seen as basically too much to ask. Yeah. But, they, but they essentially they played... Friendly games, they played old public schools and things like that. But they did tour. They toured a lot. They toured Christmas and New Year. Yeah. And, uh, the year before, or yeah, well, just before they played Millwall, actually, they toured the Northeast and they played Newcastle and Middlesbrough. Yeah. Warm, warming up for the mighty Millwall. Of course. Uh, by playing an Athen, yeah, but an Athenian league representative side and winning 9 1. Yeah, there was great confidence at the time, especially in the media, that they were going to come and cause Millwall problems. Millwall had been beaten 6 1 at West Bromwich Albion on Boxing Day, <laughs> and then by Poland, Millwall beat Blackpool 3 1 two days later, but then lost 4 1 at Berry. Yeah. And uh, this mob were warming up by, by playing Newcastle and Middlesbrough. But as you rightly say, we'd, well, we played them quite a lot. We played the first game I could find was in 1903, which was a three-all draw. Yeah, um, I suppose and these would have been friendlies and, and, and cut yeah. tyres and the like. Yeah, they're all um, friendlies, I believe. I mean, the thing that struck me with with Corinthians, we, we're going to come back to the series of. I, th I think epic is an overused word in football now, but I think these these three games in 1930 between Millwall and Corinthians qualify for epic. We will come back to those in a in a moment, listeners. But I think the other thing is before we go into that, with the, 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 they had this kind of um, ethos, the Corinthians, that they were the Corinthian spirit. And what does that mean, listeners? That means that it was a level of sportsmanship that was seen as um, the bar that others aspired to aim for, uh, Neil. Um, and I love this thing. I've got this off a of wiki. I don't know if you found this or you looked at the same site, but um, the Corinthian spirit meant that um, they wouldn't accept penalty kicks uh, <laughs> on the basis that no gentleman would ever commit a deliberate foul. 
Um, and if a penalty was awarded against the Corinthians, their goalkeeper would stand aside, leaning languidly on the goalpost and watch the ball being kicked to, into his own net. So they would concede a goal rather than acknowledge the existence of a penalty kick. And if they got one, I love this, their captain took a very short run up, as they put it here, and gave the ball a jolly good whack, jolly good whack, uh, chipping it over the crossbar, deliberately not score a penalty. Um, you wouldn't get away with that down the den these days, Neil, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't have got, yeah, you wouldn't have got, yeah, you wouldn't have got away with that down the den back then. I don't <laughs> the, the athletic ground, no, I, I think that was the clash of Lex non script to the law not written means that you've got this idea of sportsmanship, very English British idea that there was a higher level of the game, um, which meant that you didn't try and take every chance you could get to, to score because it was ungentlemanly and that didn't cut it I don't think Neil and the Dockers idea of how the game would be played yeah no well, it would have been one of our favourite phrases <laughs> not the Millwall I know watching watching Bart Bielkowski lean languidly against his goalpost whilst the opposition ship it into the into the goal for a free goal um this this Corinthian idea, though, Neil, took quite a bit of hold around the world. I mean, there is famously the, the Brazilian Corinthians pol polista, um, which I think was, uh, that was Socrates and I, I think one or two others, Zico, I believe that was their club. So the idea of this high-minded, very British idea of sportsmanship took quite a bit of, of hold. There's a, I see a, a Maltese side, Zeton Corinthians in Malta. And even Real Madrid apparently adopted their white shirts um, in honour of the Corinthian spirit. Um, it's it was it was quite an idea, wasn't it? That took hold amongst the the uh, the higher classes. I think is probably the best way to put it in this country. Yeah, but let's not forget that it, that it was actually an Englishman that took football to Brazil. So, yeah, yeah, so they were evangelists for the game. They took it everywhere, didn't they? And it, it yeah, clearly. They, and so it was probably an Englishman that formed the Corinthians over there. I've, I've, yeah, but I'm not quite sure. I've, no, no, no. But I think you're right. I think it, it's, uh, it's it was quite common, um, especially in South America, for the game to be. I mean, I, I think uh, you know it's separate strand immediately. But I know that Exeter City were the kind of the carriers of the flame of the football, and, and other teams too. Corinthians being just one example of it. Um, so they were they represented a a certain level of 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 class and a certain idea of how the game ought to be played, and they met up with um, their polar opposites, <laughs> uh, Millwall the football club, in 1930 across three massively attended games. Now, well, the three that you, you've picked out here are the the attendances are, are really striking, aren't they? These three FA Cup ties. Yeah, that just showed what you know, what a team we were actually playing. Mm. That, that you've actually got this team that only plays friendlies and plays old old boys teams and whatever. But the crowds were absolutely phenomenal. But then again, you look at the side the Corinthians had out. Yeah, and uh, and the crowd and. Yeah, but you can see why forty five thousand, I think, turned up to the first game at at Crystal Palace, where the gates opened at ten p.m. 10, 10, 10 a.m. ten in the morning. Um, this is a game played on the eleventh of January, listeners, nineteen thirty, 
at the old Crystal Palace, which was um, historically the FA Cup final um, venue. Um, very large. I think they played all sorts of games there, cricket as well, I believe, Neil, in, in its time. But it was, it was famously the FA Cup. Yeah, they had cup finals there for a number of years and a number of times, didn't they? I think it was the yeah. last... I think it was the last venue in London to host the FA Cup final before Wembley. I believe you're right. Uh, very large, wide open expanse. There are, there are plenty of photos available online of games being played there, listeners, at, at the old Crystal Palace. It, it does look like um, almost a cricket pavilion style of an idea. So there must have been a, a mayor of a place to watch a game of football. Um it's it's now, I believe, the the site of it is now the the athletic stadium, which is also now falling into rack and ruin. Apparently, the uh, national sports centre, but that is where the the, the ground was. Um, Forty five thousand people packed into the Crystal Palace ground. Um, as Neil says, gates opened at ten a.m. Accompanied to the band of the Honourable Artillery Company playing um, marching tunes and uh, I don't know what else uh, from one fifteen. About one fifteen. So, <laughs> so you actually get a sense of what an occasion it was if you've got the band of the Honourable Artillery Company playing. It's absolutely. Well, it leaves our pre-match entertainment somewhere in the shade, doesn't it? I wouldn't it? mind listening to the band, the, the Honourable Artillery Company before a game. It would beat some of the club stuff that we listen to at the Den these days. Um, the first cup tie then, and keep in mind this is amateur versus professional listeners. Um, the first cup tie finishes a tool draw. And I found um, a match report here from the Daily News, old newspaper now gone, dated um, after the game 13th of, of Jan. 1930 um and it's uh, the last of the last kick uh, amidst fog and and mud and and mist uh last kick of the game placed the corinthians on equal terms with Millwall. um true to its reputation says uh, frank thoroughgood true to its reputation the crystal palace ground furnished high drama upon the occasion of the cup tie between the corinthians and Millwall. about a quarter of an hour from the end Nil driving rain and sleet had begun to fall when the, the game was um, 30 minutes old, uh, and that gave way to a heavy snowstorm, uh, with the mill leading at 2-1. Um, just before the final whistle, the old Cambridge Blue, this gives you a sense of the, the reportage, the old Cambridge Blue, um, C.T. Ashton, uh, enforced the necessity of a replay, although the crowd were half-blinded by snow, and convinced that Millwood was still leading. <laughs> um, he equalised amidst swirling snowflakes and phantom forms of the players making the drama complete. I think that's the kind of journalism that ought to come back. I love that poetic turn of phrase. That's how we want to read our match reports. Yeah, you want to um, get a job on the South London press <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'd want, I want to be paid by the word. <laughs> yeah, well, trust the... You were just a word on C.T. Ashton. It was actually Claude Ashton. was a qualified chartered accountant with Price Waterhouse and Company. Right. He worked on London Stock Exchange, and uh, he was an amateur international who remained the last player to captain England on his only international full appearance. Right. I believe he died in a plane crash in World War II. But, but well, that's what type of team this was. You had Benjamin Howard Baker, the... The goalkeeper, he'd won two England caps and tried to qualify for Wimbledon, competed at the Olympic Games. 
Alfred Bauer was a, was a amateur and full international, the last member of the London Stock Exchange to play in the top flight. Wonderful, wonderful. Knight and Chadder, they were both am- amateur internationals, as was way well. Uh, Freddie Ewer, he was a full and amateur international. Walter Robbins was, had actually played cricket for Middlesex in England. Norman Creek was a full and amateur international. Graham Doggart was an England international, was chairman of the FA. He was a full, <laughs> he, he was the captain of the full team and uh, and another amateur international. Jackie Hagen, I think we'll come on to, yeah. was a full international, lieutenant colonel in the army. Yeah. William Stewart, his father was was actually a director of uh, Sheffield United, he was a Cambridge Blue. So we weren't expected to win that game. Charles no. Buchan, the great Charles Buchan. Yeah. Oh, Jern, this- Jern, a journalist and um, uh, used to produce Actually, an annual, didn't he? The boys' yeah. annual. That's right. Mill disorganised owing to injuries which re- which prevented W.I. Bryant. Yeah, Bill Bryant. Yeah. They Corinthians should safely enter the fourth round. The forward should be too strong for the unreliable Millwall defence. Where's Bart Bierkowski and Sean Hutchins? 90 years later, listeners, and we're still disorganised. We're, we're still clinging on for grim death. Somehow that's the story of our, of our club. Um, so two all during the first match. A hard game, said Tom Thorne. Old name there from the Isle of Dogs days, the chairman of the Millwall club. Uh, and he, Tom continued, I think the Corinthians did deserve a draw. Um, and the same opinion was expressed to the Daily News by Lieutenant Colonel Jay Gettins, the old Millwall and Corinthian forward who is now associated with the Army Educational Corps at the Horse Guard. So I think that's probably how maybe Gettins had arranged for the band for pre-match um, entertainment. So um, two all in the first match from the Crystal Palace. That was took us back to the den, Neil, of course, for the replay. Played a few days later. Uh, another one-all draw in front of 33,000 there. So we're already on 78,000 people that have seen these two games. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, considering that we'd probably, yeah, it'd probably take us, I don't know how many games now would it take us, five, six, seven games to get up to that many. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the story of the crowd will continue, listeners, but we're going to just have a quick look at this this one-all draw at Coldblow Lane, played, as I say, in front of 33,000. I found a great photo from the, the Birmingham Gazette, strangely, um, showing a packed, packed halfway line. I'll stick this online when we put the show out. Um, Lansdale, the mill goalkeeper, saved during an attack by the Corinthians. In the cup replay, New Cross says the caption, and the, the ground is absolutely um, chock a block. Um, uh, Forsyth hit header hit the post nil before Corinthians opened the scoring on 35 minutes in this game and took the lead. Yeah, Hagen, who actually caused Millwall problems in both games, put in a cross, and there was old Walter Robbins scored mm. foot shot. Walter Robbins actually, uh, I believe, uh, for those older listeners, the Walter Robbins Trophy in cricket, I believe, was played for by second 11s. Right, okay. Still, yeah, it might even still be there. But, yeah, no, that was a... 
Yeah, well, that would have caused a few murmurs around the den, wouldn't it? Uh, scoring with a left foot shot. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thankfully, a 57th minute equaliser uh, for, for Poxton after good work by Jack Cock um, to produce that chance. Um, and of course, these games were played with no floodlights, Neil. So, you know, the match uh, notes we've got here talks of the gloom of extra time. I suppose if you kicked it off at three o'clock in January, it's going to get dark from, from well, maybe they kicked it off earlier. It'll be getting dark about four o'clock at that time of the year. So um, as for the first game, it was played in, in weather-driven gloom. This was played in, played out in... in um, Natural yeah, gloom. Natural gloom. Um, it did finish one each, um, which took us to a second replay, listeners. This is the... They talk about player burnout in the modern era. And they, well, I don't know what they would have called it back then. You just expected to... Make a go of it, weren't you? Um, you know, yeah, and don't forget, you actually had league games in between because, <laughs> yeah, well, we played this game at Stamford Bridge and uh, we'd actually played there two days before drawing nil nil with Chelsea. Absolutely, absolutely. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a work was tough, so was football. Um, the two went hand in hand. So, this is a second replay played on the 20th of January 1930. And this would be far more decisive now, wouldn't it? The, the, the Lions would, would progress at last over their amateur opponents. 5-1, uh, played at Stamford Bridge. In front of 60,000 people, listeners, 60,000. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 60,000 people now turning up, A, to watch a Millwall FA Cup side that's not played at Wembley or, <laughs> or some no. yellow neutral <laughs> venue? Shall we say? Yep. A and B, actually, a Millwall versus a non-league team non -league at a neutral team. venue. At a neutral venue um, in the well, it was it was the third round, was it? I, I believe it was the third round of the FA Cup. So, you know, nowadays they, they've got half, they play games with half the ground closed down if the opponents aren't sexy enough. So, no, you can't imagine it. Um, 60,000 people. I've got a, a wonderful spread of photos from the the Illustrated Sporting and Dramatic News series of photos. I will stick those online because they're just wonderful. They've got people packed around the um, the, uh, the the touchlines at Stamford Bridge, which was um, an oval-shaped stadium. So this, this would have been not far short of what we saw with the uh, the famous FA Cup images of the, of the Cup final in 1923 with people sat along the side of the of the touchlines in the bar. Track, wasn't it? Uh, dog track stadium. That's right. Yeah, well, yeah. Fulham Green is a good friend of mine, like who supports Fulham, calls them. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving this um, final match report, Neil. Um, if you indulge me, I'm going to read it. It's from the Illustrated Sporting Dramatic News. And I, this is, again, we've already said journalism has faded in its poetic nature. And, I, and I'm going to keep this theme going now because... As a drowning man, as a drowning man, as drowning men are said to come up for a third and last time before the end, so the Corinthians came up against Millwall in the FA Cup. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> the legend is if you go down the third time, you're drowning by that stage. Um, I thought, what a way to lead in a match report. As drowning men are said to come up for a third and last time before the end, so the Corinthians came up against Millwall in the FA Cup competition last Monday at the Stamford Bridge for the third time, having played two draws the previous week. And this proved to be their end too. Um, a fine end it was, nonetheless, for men who are not specially trained for such gladiatorial fray. 
Hagen was um, away injured and Doggart missed his partner. Millwall were also without three of the team, which previously met their rivals. Up to half-time, the score was one all, one goal all. But when play was resumed, the professionals whose defensive play was not always too orthodox uh, put on four more goals without... I don't know what they mean by that. Um, put on four more goals without reply, baking, Baker not having a good day in the Corinthian goal. During the three matches, 136,275 people watched the play and paid £10,125 for that privilege. And there were some great photos. Um, you can't picture this kind of event anymore. Well, you wouldn't get second replays now. You certainly wouldn't get... Yeah, we don't get... Yeah, we don't get one replay. These yeah, days. No. Yeah. It, the cup is now seen as a pain in the backside, and um, you know, so it's all the poorer for it. I think this is this is wonderful, wonderful stuff. A five-one win in the end for the Lions over their amateur opponents. Um, I see the Corinthians have played the RAF team at the weekend twice to game. <laughs> it's a great fixture, isn't it? The Corinthians versus the Royal Air Force. Yeah, I think history was on our side because I think seven years before they. The Corinthians have played Brighton in the FA Cup and they beat them in a second replay. Right. And yeah, the papers were full of it. They just were determined not to give us any credit. We weren't going to get anything out of the London, uh, yeah, the London News and uh, the Daily Herald and no, no, because they were so in awe of this non-league team with with the names loaded with the great and the good. uh, the, the illustrated news headline says it all. The Corinthians out of the cup, but gallant work versus Millwall. Um, and I think that's probably not a bad headline in the circumstances. The Corinthians would, in 1939, they would merge, as you, you've said already, with the casuals, another famous name. Um, and then the, the Second World War would intervene. And the club would continue after the and still exist to this day. We were saying off here, weren't we? That they're they're based over in Tolworth um, near Kingston, um, Worcester Park out that way. If anyone lives over that side, I might make it my mission to try and get over to watch the Corinthian Casuals. Now, as you've inspired me, your show notes for this show have inspired me to try and get along to a Corinthian Casuals game during the uh, the World Cup break. Um, and we'll it was only yeah, it was only that I bought a book by Norman Creek. Yeah. First ever uh, yeah, the original Corinthian casuals history. And uh, I was just flicking through it one day and fell across this and thought, oh, that'll make a nice podcast. And uh, interestingly, in the back of this book, which was written actually in 1930, yeah. they've got a list of the members and their addresses which when you're trying to trace people and you're trying to trace amateur internationals, gosh, yeah, but that ain't that helpful, I tell you. I bet, I bet. Great badge, a monogram. You would expect nothing else from a club like Corinthians uh, listeners, would you have a monogrammed CFC badge? Founded 1882, dissolved, uh, albeit merged with casuals. They still exist, as we've said already. Um, I'm going to close this show, Neil, if you'll indulge me once more. I keep asking for indulgences, listeners. I, it's my, my our show, so I'll You normally ask, yeah, yeah, would you mind if you go off on a tangent? At least we haven't <laughs> had any tangents. In this. I'm going to indulge myself here. Um, the, quote, the closing quote um, on the Corinthians is from a book by Edward Grayson called Corinthians and Cricketers. 
um, from their foundation in 1882. Within 20 years, the Corinthians were to become the greatest and most attractive team that football had then known. With an intelligent nonchalance and in their tailored shirts and well-cut shorts, they brought a quality and culture to the game. I like that. I, 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 intelligent nonchalance, Neil, and a well-cut shirt and shorts are right up my street, mate. So thank you. You certainly won't find any intelligent nonchalance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to bring intelligent nonchalance to the mill scene, listeners. <laughs> thank you, Edward Grace, and thank you, Neil, for this wonderful, wonderful choice. Small versus Corinthians. It's Nick and Neil's Summer Millwall History Show. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.